Today's reading is from Second Kings, um, chapter 3, and beginning at verse 4. Now Mesha, king of Moab, raised sheep, and he had to pay the king of Israel a tribute of a hundred thousand lambs and the wool of a hundred thousand rams. But after Ahab died, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So at that time, King Joram set out from Samaria and mobilized all Israel. He also sent this message to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? I will go with you, he replied. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. By what route shall we attack, he asked. Through the desert of Edom, he answered. So the king of Israel set out with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. After a roundabout march of seven days, the army had no more water for themselves or for the animals with them. What, exclaimed the king of Israel, has the Lord called us three kings together only to deliver us into the hands of Moab? But Jehoshaphat asked, Is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire of the Lord? An officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Elisha said to the king of Israel, Why do you want to involve me? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. No, the king of Israel answered, because it was the Lord who called us three kings together to deliver us into the hands of Moab. Elisha said, As surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, if I did not have respect for the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not pay any attention to you. But now... Bring me a harpist. While the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came on Elisha, and he said, This is what the Lord says. I will fill this valley with pools of water. For this is what the Lord says. You will see neither wind nor rain. Yet this valley will be filled with water, and you, your cattle, and your other animals will drink. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. He will also deliver Moab into your hands. You will overthrow every fortified city and every major town. You will cut down every good tree, block up all the springs, and ruin every good field with stones. The next morning, about the time for offering the sacrifice, there it was, water flowing from the direction of Edom, and the land was filled with water. Amen. Today we're going to look at uh, the Old Testament prophet uh, Elisha. Uh, If you missed last week, we talked about him burning plows uh, and leaving behind anything that would keep him from following uh, God and moving ahead. So last week we burned the plows. Today we're going to think about digging ditches. And you might instantly think, hang on a minute, that was not mentioned in the reading. We'll get to that. Next week we're going to be thinking about uh, gathering jars But before we dive in, 
I'm wondering if you, like me, have played the if-only game. If only this had happened. If only that hadn't happened. If only I had more money. If only whatever it is. My life would be so much easier, better, smoother. I would be more beautiful. Whatever. If only. If only. I don't know what your if only would be. But throughout life, I suspect all of us recognize that we have needs. And we tend to think, if only I had whatever it is, life would be better. And so today, as you listen, I pray that you would experience God speaking to you and that you'd hear it through the lens of your greatest need. The context for our study today is that here are these three kings who had joined forces to do battle against the Moabites. Three against one, they thought, that's easy, we've got this in the bag. But often in life, as you know, things don't go as we planned. You think you've got it all figured out, and oops, didn't work out the way that you thought. And here are these three kings, instead of winning easily, they've wandered around in the desert, and they've got to the point where they are running out of water very rapidly. Their animals are about to die of thirst, and they are in huge, urgent, significant need. And I hope this story will teach us this principle. Your greatest need becomes a blessing when it drives you to depend on God. I think some of you need to hear that, so I'll say it again. Your greatest need becomes a blessing when it drives you to depend on God. So here are these three kings and all their armies and their um, herds. They are out of water. And Jehoshaphat asks, is there a prophet nearby who will speak to God for them? And of course the answer is yes. Here's, Here's Elisha. Mentored by Elijah. And if you know anything of the the story of Elijah, there was a time when the nation was in in a drought and had been for years, and Elijah began to pray. And they saw a cloud in the distance about the size of your hand. And it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And from that tiny wee cloud, there was an amazing and incredible storm, and the land was restored. And so maybe they're thinking to themselves, ah, if Elijah can do that, maybe Elisha can do something similar. Now, these three kings say repeatedly that they were serving God. No, they were not. They were not seeking God at all. And all of a sudden, when they're in trouble, they do what so many people do. They turn to God. First of all, they blame God. God brought us here and there's no water. And then it's, maybe if we ask God, he'll help us. That's still what people do today. And so they're kind of saying, well, is there, is there a prophet? Is there somebody who's really in with God? Is there somebody who's, who's got that kind of relationship, God, that, that, would, that would pray for us and maybe pull some spiritual strings there? And of course, we have Elisha. Perhaps they'd already heard about the fact that Elisha was doing miracles the same way that Elijah had done. And so they're like, can you help us out? So what do you think he's going to do? Of course, he's going to go, oh, yes, absolutely, no problem. No, he does not. He gets stroppy. It's a good example for ministers to follow, right? Get stroppy sometimes. No, I'm just... <laughs> he's like, okay, I get it. You've ignored God. You've chosen your own way. You've done your own thing. And now that you're in trouble, you want some God action. 
kind of like a teenager, he, he, he gets a bit of an attitude. And you might wonder where on earth he learned that from. Well, funnily enough, he learned it from Elijah. Elijah, who um, challenged the 450 false prophets of Baal to a, a kind of barbecue off, if you like. And they got a bull each, and they prepared um, the bull for the altar. And the prophets of Baal are there, and they're, they're screaming and they're shouting. And Elijah's going, maybe he's sleeping. So they scream louder. So maybe he's, maybe he's away for a walk. But you need to shout louder. So so maybe he's on the toilet. Do you know what I mean? You just keep going. Keep, keep on you go, boys. And eventually, he says, okay, you've had your turn. And he gathered water and he poured it over the altar until the trench around the altar was full of water. And then he said, Lord, show them. And God consumed the bull and the altar and dried up the water in the trench round about it. Because there is no God like Jehovah. So Elisha does what Elijah did. He gets an attitude. And he says to the king of Israel, why are you trying to involve me? Why are you bringing me into this? What's it got to do with me? He says, go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. Go to your own prophets. Why are you trying to get me involved? And the king of Israel answered, ah, no, no, it was the Lord who called us three kings together to deliver us into the hands of Moab. And Elisha says, as surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve. <laughs> Clearly what he's meaning is, you were not called by God. I'm the one who's called by God here. You did your own thing, and now you're in bother. He's saying, you're, you're not serving him. As soon as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, if I didn't have respect that Jehoshaphat was here, I wouldn't be here. Because you two are nothing to me. But because Jehoshaphat's here and he once feared the Lord, I'm going to help you. And then in verse 15, he makes a demand. Bring me the harpist. It's a cracker, isn't it? Bring me the harpist. The biggest, most awkward instrument to bring anywhere. You're in the middle of the desert. Bring me the harp. It seems weird. Really weird, if we're honest. But actually, it was not uncommon for people who were prophesying to have music when they were being with God. And actually, for those of us who are believers today, there is something special about when we worship God. The Bible says God inhabits the praises of his people. When we worship, when we sing, when we praise, God does something in that moment. When I'm preparing for Sundays, I put on worship music because it helps me to be closer to God. When I'm praying about stuff in particular, I put on worship music because it helps me to get closer to God. So I understand the whole bring me the harp thing. Thankfully nowadays, we don't need harps, but um, music is really important. So that's why he's saying bring me the harp. So they're there and they're listening and they're saying, oh, this is great. The music's going. We'll be getting a wee word of encouragement shortly. It's all good. This is great. Elisha's going to come up with the goods here. What does he do? Does he bring them a word of encouragement? No. 
he gives them rather a ridiculous command. The NIV that we read says, has God saying, I will fill this valley with water. But most other translations of this chapter say this. When the music played, then the hand of the Lord came upon him and he said, this says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. Now, I don't know why the NIV has changed that. But it gives you a totally different perspective on the story. It's no longer just God doing a miracle. This is, hang on a minute, guys. If you want this water, you're going to have to make an effort. You've got to get out and dig the ditch. Where's the rain? Where's the water? He's asking these soldiers to go out in the desert heat to dig a ditch. Effectively, what he's saying is, I want you to dig some ditches and we're going to see that your greatest need often becomes your greatest blessing when it drives you to depend on God. And verse 17 goes on, For this is what the Lord says, You will see neither wind nor rain, yet this valley will be filled with water, and you, your cattle, and your other animals will drink. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. It's an easy thing for God. So why does he not just go, There you are, there's the water? Well, because sometimes we have to exercise faith. What he's saying here to these kings is you've got no idea how powerful, how strong, how mighty God is. At the snap of his finger, God could do it. It's an easy thing for him. And by the way, do you know that other thing you wanted? That victory over Moab? Well, he's going to give you that as well. But first, dig a ditch. That's the context of the story. And what I want to do just for another few minutes is to apply it to us today. It's about faith that works, and there is a definite play on words there that is intentional. So first of all, I'm talking about faith that works. It's faith that is effective. In other words, it's faith that moves the heart of God, and it invokes a response from God. Faith that works. At the same time, not just talking about faith that's effective, I'm talking about faith that is active. Faith that works. It does something. You put it into practice. Faith that so believes that God is going to act that we take a step of faith towards God, believing that he will take a step towards us. And there are two principles of faith that works that I want to share with you today. The first one is this. Only God can send the water, but sometimes he wants you to dig a ditch. Only God can send the water, but sometimes he wants you to dig a ditch. So that's what Roddy and Vinny, the two people who started Jenga in Uganda, found. They believed that God wanted them to have a piece of ground on which they would build Jenga and build offices and take that forward. That was their equivalent of digging a ditch. They had literally to fight for it. They had a group of folk gathered against another group of folk with machetes and big sticks. Literally, are you willing to put your life on the line for this, for God? They were digging a ditch. Afterwards, they had to dig actual ditches in order to drain water away, but that's a different story. Only God can send the water, but sometimes he wants to see your faith. He wants to see you digging a ditch. Do you really think that the God of the universe needed these boys out there digging a ditch? No, of course he didn't. He didn't need them to do that. 
Instead, it's almost as if he's saying to them, you show me your faith and I'll show you my faithfulness. Because God loves to see our faith. All over the New Testament, you see it again and again. The Bible says when Jesus saw their faith, well, how do you see someone's faith? You see it when they put it into practice. In the storm, Jesus walking towards the boat, Peter sees him. And he says, Lord, if that's really you, tell me to come and I'll come. And Jesus said, come. And what did he do? He stepped out of the boat. Jesus and Peter, the two people who've walked on water, the other 11 sat there. Peter put his faith into practice and it was seen. Another story, a man with a withered hand and Jesus says to him, stretch out your hand. In other words, I can heal you, I'm going to heal you, but I want to see that you believe it. He could, of course, have said, as he did to so many people, be healed and he would be healed. Instead, he says, I'm going to heal you, but I want to see you exercise faith by stretching out your hand. Then there was a man who had not been able to walk for years and years. And Jesus looked at him and says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. I'm going to heal you, but I'm not picking you up. I want to see you believe that for yourself. Get yourself up. Only God can send the water, but sometimes he wants us to dig a ditch. Jenga was started by a white salesman from England and a Ugandan man whose mother was a prostitute who abandoned him twice as a child. Both had been hurt by people of the opposite colour and vowed that they would never work with him again until God stepped in and brought these two men together. And he gave them a vision. A vision to build community to help the poorest of the poor improve their lives. They started small. They started giving away goats. A male goat and a female goat. And it went to a village and somebody was chosen in the village to look after it. And when the first kid was born, they got it back so that they had more goats to give away. There are now 48 projects that Jenga are involved in. They have helped many thousands of people in that area because they showed their faith and God shows his faithfulness. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And I think there's too many people in the West, in Scotland, and they're like, they're just waiting for God to show them his faithfulness, but they're not showing God any faith. You need to take a step of faith. You want to stop smoking? Well, maybe you just throw your cigarettes in the bin and say, well, here's some faith. I'm getting rid of these things. You want to heal a relationship that's gone bad? Well, you have to forgive someone, even if they haven't asked for it. Or maybe treat someone with love when all they do is be horrible to you. Why? Because you're digging a ditch. Lorraine was holding down a responsible job. She was very active in church and she was an alcoholic. And one day on being challenged by a friend, she decided that she would not drink that day. And she did not drink the following day or the following day or the following day. And day six was the Holy Spirit day in the Alpha Course. And she went to that day and she said in front of people who had known her for years that she had been sober for six days. And they couldn't believe it. 
she went to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting in America. And later she came to uh, Mbali to see the work of Jenga, and she realized that alcoholism is a huge issue in that place. And so she set up some AA groups. And then COVID came, and she went home. And she had no idea what was going to happen to those groups. She came back when we were there. And the local folks had not only kept those groups going, but the number had grown. And the number of people attending has grown to over a thousand. Lives are being transformed because somebody dug a ditch, took a step of faith, trusted in God. Only he can send the water but he wants us to dig a ditch. The second principle is this. Real faith believes big, but is willing to start small. Real faith believes big, but is willing to start small. I know lots of people who are Christians, but they are simply not thinking big enough. We serve a God whom the Bible says can do exceedingly and abundantly more than all we can ask or imagine. It's time to think big. But thinking big also means that you have to start small. In the 9th century BC, how do you dig a ditch? Well, you take your spade and you put it in the ground and you take the soil out one spadeful at a time. There's no JCBs. There's no tractors with digger attachments. There's nothing like that. You start small, one spadeful at a time. Zechariah 4.10 says, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Sometimes you have to start small. There may be some of you, and you've got a vision, a big vision that God has given you, and you need to start small. You need to start with what is in front of you. If you are faithful with what is in front of you, God will give you more to be faithful with. I want to encourage you to think big but be willing to start small. Start where you are. I know we have a presbytery plan. (laughs) I get that we have changes coming, but I think this congregation has huge potential and that God can and will do amazing things through us. I have to be honest and say, up until now, I've kind of looked at the, the presbytery plan more negatively than positively. But actually what I realize is that there is huge potential in putting these congregations together. We're going to be able to do things that we we couldn't have done on our own. So we need to think, how do we grow this congregation? What are the ditches that we might need to dig together? Those of us with children or grandchildren who don't come regularly might need to ask, what would church need to look like to be attractive for them? What about our neighbors or our friends? What might we have to change in order for them to be willing to come? If we want to grow, we need to win people for Jesus. And that involves praying for them and having conversations with them, befriending them and inviting them. Maybe we need to build up our home groups as places 
that we can invite people to. We're doing another Alpha course starting in September, so please think already about who you might invite to that. We start small, but we dream big. God is moved by our faith. If we ask small, we get small. That's the truth of the matter. If, if we can accomplish our own dreams on our own, then they're too small. They're too small. If I can do it in my own strength, what's the point? I need to be looking for big things. Things that, I, things that we can't do on our own that we need to trust God for. God loves when we participate in his miracles, when he can see our faith, because faith without works is dead. So we need to exercise and show faith. Verse 20 of Second Kings chapter 3 says this, the next morning, about the time for the offering of the sacrifice, there it was. They had dug the ditches and there it was. There was the water that they needed. Only God can send the water. But sometimes we have to dig a ditch. Some of you right now might have a significant need in your life and you think, if only, if only God would meet that, if only God would answer that prayer. Well, please don't forget that your biggest need can become your biggest blessing when it drives you to depend on God. And only he can send the water. Sometimes you need to dig a ditch. You know, I pray for a church full of people who are dreaming big dreams and who are looking to God to meet those dreams, believing that by faith, God will answer our dreams. And if we'll just dig the ditch, he's going to be faithful to send the water. I didn't tell you this, but if at the end of the service there is something that you would like prayer for, we would love to pray with you. There are people here who we have done a bit of training with who will be willing to pray with you. It's in confidence. It's not a sign of failure or or defeat or anything like that. You haven't done anything wrong because you ask somebody to pray. Today, it's like digging a ditch. So if there's something that you are struggling with and it's too big for you, or you just want to dig a ditch, then you can choose to do nothing. You can go home and you can just leave it. You could ask somebody sitting beside you or someone that you know to pray for you. Or, or you can ask the prayer team uh, to, to pray. They'll be over in that corner out of the way, uh, so that if you want to have somebody uh, and a bit of privacy, you can go there uh, and they will pray uh, with you. But for now, let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would build our faith, both corporately and individually, that we would be different because we've been in your presence. I pray that you would give us the great honor of showing our faith to you again and again, that you would give us divine opportunities to put our faith into action. God, when you ask us to do something that's ridiculous and makes no sense, we need to just trust you and go with it. It might be to forgive someone that seems unforgivable, to love someone that seems unlovable, to give when we feel like someone should be given to us, to trust again when we've been hurt or betrayed. God, would you give us plow-burning faith to be obedient? And whatever form of ditch you call us to dig, 
Give us the faith to believe that you are all-powerful, that it's easy for you, that you do the miracle. You send the water in response to our digging. Give us the faith to dig a ditch. Amen.